Hey, Bloody Mary Bible Brunch back again. And we are indeed sitting here with bacon Bloody Marys on our table, talking to you today about the law. Specifically, when we mean that, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm Abigail Conley, the pastor at Chalice Christian Church, here with Jim Barton, who is just very interested in church. I'm the one who's mastered the divine. <laughs> Well, and maybe particularly relevant for today is that I have a, a Juris Doctor, so that's kind of nice as well, right? So, right. Um, yeah, that's right. I describe myself as kind of an amateur theologian and a professional attorney. So, um, today's topic is interesting to me because um, a lot of the scripture, if you try and read the Bible from front to back, you do, um, you do run into this where you all of a sudden get into... Um, a large section of very uh, detailed information about, frankly, um, exactly how to do everything if you're going to live your life in a um, kosher way, if you're going to live your life in accordance to God's law. And I, I think, um, well, one of the ways that I sort of bumped into this is, um, oftentimes I think progressives will say, well, caring for the poor is, that's a major theme in Scripture. And I think it is, I think that's accurate. I do think caring for the poor is a major theme in Scripture. But it seems to me an even more important theme, particularly in the Old Testament, is how to live as a faithful uh, uh, Hebrew or Jew or Israelite, whatever, how to be faithful to the covenant with God. And it is, it is sort of spelled out in, in excruciating detail about how exactly how to, to live your life. And I don't know... Um, oftentimes we talk about the sorts of things. Were these built up over time? These are was it the the various like how you behave in the temple. You know what kind of sacrifice you make. Stuff about who you can marry, who you can't marry. You know where you plant your crops, all that kind of business. So um, it definitely developed over time. It is not parts of it are not that much different from other ancient Near Eastern codes of law. Um, I think the other important factor to note is that it's not just a religious law. Like, it was also political law because there's, there's no separation. The religious rulers are the political rulers. Um, and in fact, the narration when they do have a king is that this was bad um, because that's not what God originally intended. So I think that's, that's a very important thing to remember, that it becomes much more about not just how you live in a religious community, but how you live together in an entire society. And so... Um, so they have rules about, so they have rules about what do you do if somebody's animal causes somebody else to die? Right. If my animal kills, you know, your son, what, what, what recourse do you have? And that's... You know, it's very specific about, like, how long does the guy live and has the animal ever done it before and that sort of thing. Right. Um, that sort of very matter-of-fact, matter-of-fact things. Um, uh, uh, taxes are sort of laid out, essentially, right, about who pays what to where. Right. And this is where, again, to get back where I start with, this is where you do sort of see at each point, if you do this, you make this, excuse me, you make this sacrifice. But oftentimes that's followed. If you can't afford that, then you sacrifice if you can't sacrifice a goat, then you sacrifice a dove. And if you can't sacrifice this, you sacrifice that. So those sort of... Um, Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, the stuff that, um, uh, you know, in modern courts, you're talking about like pauper provisions. You know, like you, you don't have to file, you don't have to pay the filing fee if you're, if you're a certain, if you're poor enough. 
all those things I think are, are in are in that in the, 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 the laws right they totally are and um, you get laws that then wouldn't necessarily come up in religious life in the same way you get laws about rape and marriage and transfer of property and all of those things that are part of our legal system not overall our religious system we do have, um, you know, I suppose we should talk for a minute or two about the, the what uh, what we call in children worship one of the ten best things. We do have the the ten commandments, uh-huh. um, and they are sort of called out as special, right? I think I do think, although they're not, they're just a part of the overall law. Right. They and, are called out as special. And depending on your religious tradition, would be you would have a totally different numbering and order. Of right. It. So that also makes a difference. I think that points to the reality that um, the law will always be part of Christian tradition because it came out of Judaism. So there's no way you can read the Gospels without choosing to go back and read the law. Jesus does a lot of references to prophets, but also love your neighbor as yourself is written in Deuteronomy. I think that's a really important point because oftentimes... um, uh, I think again, uh, particularly progressive Christians would like to say, "Well, um, you know, Jesus, you know, replaced the law, and Jesus said instead of all these laws, love your neighbor as yourself." But that's not accurate. Love your neighbor as yourself is is law, right? It's out of Deuteronomy, so that's something that sort of comes springs forth from it. Yeah, and I mean, in my fundamentalist Bible quoting, I would respond: Jesus said, "I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it." Mm-hmm. Um, and when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, on all these hang the law and the prophets. Um, this is a conversation with the law, not a usurping of it. And I think it's, I think especially actually in more conservative Christianity, that supersessionism of being replaced the other covenant comes out a lot. Um, and that's definitely not true for us and definitely not part of just tossing out the Old Testament and tossing out the laws if it doesn't matter. It does present, um, again, to put my modern lawyer hat on, it does present a lot of challenges for how to construction and sort of how to interpret what you're reading Uh um, because of the cultural distance. And so I think, um, you know, when you talk about marriage, what, what was marriage? What was adultery at the time that that law was written, right? If Justice Scalia wants to know the original intent, he wants to know what they meant, you know, when they wrote it down. If we want to use that rules, that's something that, that makes it difficult. Um, immigration, right? A lot of times, um, you know, folks that, are, um, that believe our immigration laws are too harsh will oftentimes point to scriptural stuff about how to handle the stranger in your land. Well, that's relevant, I suppose, but the stranger in your land is a little different than somebody who came in on a work visa and overstayed that work visa. Right. You know what I mean? I think those are not, they're not exact, it's, it's, I don't think it's, you can't really pair those things up. Mm-hmm. You know, marriage based on love between two people, it's very hard when you go back and look at that. Now we're talking about marriage, which is more of a property agreement. Right. Um, slavery, that is um, a product of conquest and it is something that someone can get out of. That, yeah. to me, is a pretty different topic than race-based um, slavery and, you know, chattel slavery that we had, you know, in, in the United States in the, in, in before the Civil War. So I think that it makes some challenges in how you interpret. And I think Jesus' idea, Jesus' uh, rule about on all, all the law and prophets hang on love the neighbor, love right. your God and love your neighbor, 
that's a I think that's a good rule of construction. Mm. If the way you're reviewing the law leads to something that does not result in you loving your neighbor, if you review the law and it lets you hate your neighbor or destroy your neighbor, you've done it wrong. Yeah. That's what Jesus is telling you right here. So I think that's where not only conversations like this one, but conversations throughout history matter. Because I think last time we were talking, I mentioned again the conversation that happens within Jewish philosophy and thought. There's actually writings, accepted writings, around law and how do you interpret this. And if you're a Reformed Jew, you'll um, interpret that much differently than an Orthodox Jew. But there are actually traditions of what this means and what the broader implications are. And the same is true for Christianity, actually. Um, if you were going to use um, Hegel, who was a late Enlightenment philosopher, to talk about this, I think it's really helpful. Um, he implied, applied his thought to um, the church. And so what his, one of his arguments was that in history there's a thesis and then there's an antithesis and you come up with something that's a synthesis of the two. And so for us as Christians, there was Judaism and then there was Christianity as the antithesis and the synthesis of that is the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. And guess what? Roman Catholic Church has canon law, has all of these things to interpret that. Because if you read Corinthians, if you read all of the Pauline work, they're really struggling with what does it mean to be Christian? Do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to eat kosher? That especially comes out in Acts. How do we do this? And so canon law of the Roman Catholic Church deals with that even more. And the truth is then, we're more removed from that. We're removed so far that we've rejected canon law. We're in a tradition that has no canonical guidelines, pretty much. So the conversation becomes, we just have this bare bones, wow, this seems really weird. Well, we're not the first people to think that. Yeah. We're, in fact, the last people to think that. <laughs> right, right. So... What do we, how do we use, so how do we as modern Christians use these ancient laws then? If we're not, if we're not going to use them to, um, you know, there's a, uh, there's an episode of The Simpsons where um, uh, Ned Flanders admits that he keeps kosher just in case. He, he doesn't, you know, he, he's not, he doesn't think he has to, but just, just to be on the safe side, he keeps kosher. You know, if we're not going to do that, you know, just to be on the safe side, try and, you know, you know, keep the, the kosher laws. What value do these laws have for us as modern Christians? So I would first point out that some people have opted for that. Mm -hmm. Messianic Judaism exists. Mm -hmm. Seventh-day Adventists worship on right. Saturday for a reason. Many of them are vegetarian. Um, they gave us cornflakes out of you there know, you go. cereal. So. so that has been one track. So I think actually the conversation can help us more about understanding our own ethics than we ever realized. Um, it's LGBT issues are always where the law gets cited, but it doesn't get cited when we talk about abortion or miscarriage or when life begins. It actually could inform that conversation or at least give us light into that. So. Old Testament, if someone causes a woman to miscarry, there's a penalty, but it's not the same as if you kill someone. Well, maybe in modern world you believe that life begins at conception. Guess what? Conception is an idea that you have because of the time and place in which you were born. Yeah. 
when the fact that you can have that conversation is a time and place in which you were born. And the other part of that is that because there is conversation with it, part of the confession is that God still moves in the world and does things in the world. So you have this law that seems barbaric by modern standards. A lot of people would agree with you. So does that mean you toss out God, or does that mean you have conversation with, well, why did this change? When did it change? Um, and understand who you are and where you're going. An eye for an eye is um, moderation. Right. It's an example of moderation. So you, when you look at that scripture and you say, where was God in this? And... Um, you know, and this is, of course, you know, uh, you know, our friends who are who are atheists are going to say, well, this is, you know, this is a rationalization, and that's fine. They, you know, you can say that if you want, but I think you can look at, you can say, in the world, there was the idea of retribution, and there was an idea that if someone strikes you, you strike back harder, and frankly, that makes sense, right? Because then you can sort of then I'll teach them not to do it again. But then the Old Testament comes along and it says, no, 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 not that proportional, right? Proportional response. So a proportional response is an act of, of, of restraint. And then when Jesus later says, turn the other cheek, in a way, that is in the, you can connect the lines there and say that that's, a, that's an example of grace. That's an example yeah. of restraint. And even if you were going to go with just an eye for an eye, wouldn't that do our legal system some good? How many of our prisons are full of people who had a little bit too much marijuana on them? or use the wrong kind of drug that had these strict minimums attached yeah. that were so disproportionate to what was done. Yes. I mean, the, the, the limitation still matters and is not practiced for us. It's kind of interesting because um, uh, retribution as an idea, as a legal term, the idea that you would um, punish someone in response to, in proportion to their crime, uh-huh. when it, as a legal, as a beginning as a legal movement was also a movement for moderation. It was also a movement to like, no, you don't just chop someone's hand off because they stole something. No, you don't hang someone because they shot the king's deer. We have to like, the, the punishment has to be in some way related to the crime. Right. And so now retributionists are often, people arguing for harsher punishments because they want to do things like, um, you know, humiliate people a lot and things like that, which I don't think is necessarily a part of it, but that's just sort of where that camp is kind of going. So, just like now, I think eye for an eye is sort of, that's sort of law and order position. Right. But if you if you think about it, and, and, and frankly, even if you look at it in the context, it's an example of sort of restraint. I, I, I mean, I do think, um, I will say that it, it, to me, the law is not the most valuable part of the scripture. Because I do think it lends itself it's very easy to, if, if you want, if, you, if it supports your position, for you to want to take it more strictly. So if I don't like um, harsh immigration policies, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point to the parts of the scripture where it says, be kind to the stranger, and this is how you treat an immigrant in your land. Remember, you were once an immigrant, or you were once a wandering Aramean, you know. That's what I'm going to point to, right? If I don't like um, gay marriage, then I'm going to point to the prohibitions on um, um, men having sex with each other. You know what I mean? If I don't like it, it and so I do think it, it it does make it less helpful to me, honestly, because I feel like it sort of is open to this. It's easy to kind of read into what you find. Yeah, and the truth is, though, that's true for all scripture. That mm-hmm. we call it proof texting. We have a word for it, 
because it is so common to pick and choose what you want to. And I think we're just as guilty of progressive Christians of like, let's talk about this one part and not these other parts. Yeah. And choosing a canon within the canon. Um, and I think we stumble into that danger more if we don't read things that we find problematic. Right. And if we can't own the fact that judges is violent and right. murder is sanctioned, killing is sanctioned, maybe not murder, there's a whole debate there. Right, right. I mean... Well, and you have, and frankly, and you can't understand the Sermon on the Mount if you don't understand the law. Right. The whole Sermon on the Mount is an example of Jesus saying, this is my take on the law. So, I mean, that's another reason why I think law is important as Christians. Right. For context. Yeah. All right. Well, any other thoughts on this? Um, the only other thing that I, I do think is very valuable to us to read the law is the beginning of conversations that are happening around restorative justice. How do we help people return to community? Because the law actually does that very well because it is the social and political. So you did this thing that distances you from the community in a significant way. But here's what you can do to be brought back. Here's how we can do that. And I think that conversation and that two, three, four, five thousand year old edict is helpful to us of how do we do this? How do we welcome a person back into the community? And it's interesting that we didn't, it's not a sexy new thing that we came up with. Right, of course. Yeah. So. All right, well, I think that'll do it for um, this time. Um, we hope that you'll join us in the future. And um, until next time, cheers.